Welcome to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Kim is a psychotherapist and executive director of ICU Talks, a mental health speaking ministry. This is a podcast about how to flip your lid and learning how to reconnect to who you really are. Okay, y'all. I just want y'all to know you're part of Flip Your Lid, and we also do YouTube. So if you want to see one of the most beautiful people, physically and spiritually, I've ever seen, like when I look at her, at moments I think I'm looking in the mirror. She's so beautiful. Yeah. So whatever. Shut up, y'all. Shut up. So, but she's amazing, and she's just one of those people who has a spirit that comes through. So, if you're here in this podcast, welcome. If you want to see her, please go to our YouTube channel because she radiates God's love and knowledge about how to self-care so well. Her name is Shamira Parker. I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. She's the founder and chief well-being officer of Born Boundless International. She's a self-care advocate educator and healing ally for who creates safe spaces for black women in leadership roles who are ready to shed their superwoman cape and opt out of overwhelm. Tamara gives them a mental makeover by showing them how to make self-care non-negotiable so they are emotionally whole and no longer suffering in silence. Amen. Which leads to health issues, fatigue, and burnout. She's a four-time author, Charlotte Native, and mom to two boys, ages seven and eight, with a mission to not only inspire, but also to offer strategies and tangible tools that are critical for lifestyle transformation. With a BA in communication studies and a double minor in African-American studies and sociology, she also has more than 10 years of corporate sales and marketing experience with another five years in health and wellness outreach. Tamara facilitates workshops, courses, and professional development with the urgent message that not making yourself a priority has a price tag. She serves as commissioner for the Reimaging America Project, the Truth, Reconciliation, and Atonement Commission of Charlotte, North Carolina, a project of the George Mason University Center for the World Religions Diplomacy and Conflict Resolution. She's also a community partner for both Upper Room Outreach International and See Her Lead. And she's also my sister and my friend. So can y'all welcome Shamara Parker to Flip Your Lid. Hi, sister. Hi. Hi, Kim. Hi, honey. That's a long bio. I need That's a nap. That's a long bio. That's some good to- stuff. That's a lot. I need to turn that down a lot. Well, that's some good stuff. That's the, you've got bragging rights on that because that is all about you taking so many things that could have put you under the rock and instead you're standing on it screaming mm-hmm. loudly. Yeah. Glory to that's God, though, right? Stuff. Like all glory to him. Only It's only yeah. him. Yeah. So it's really good. So, so you know where we're going to go. First question is only predetermined question. Here we mm-hmm. go, people. So I'll, please tell our audience what flipped your lid. What life experience, what life event flipped your lid? And what measures have you taken to reconnect to who God says you are? (sighs) Kim, when you asked me that question, um, I could think of multiple times in my life where my lid was flipped. Um, But, you know, I, I felt the Holy Spirit urging me to talk about the time in my marriage that my marriage was on life support, which Mm -hmm. led to ultimately, unfortunately, a divorce. And um, I don't talk about it a lot. So I think that's why he's making me talk about it. He makes me talk about things that um, brought about shame. Mm -hmm. Um, He makes me talk about things that I don't really like to talk about publicly. And so it's just been so poignant to really lean into him and say, okay, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm going to yield and be obedient. So I want to talk about that time. Um, It's hard, you know, uh, that level of vulnerability to talk about a time that truly I remember having lost myself mm-hmm. and to have done so much to find myself from the last time I lost myself um, to wake up one day and really truly not know who I was. Yeah. You know, I was truly disconnected from mm-hmm. God. I was going to church. I was in church. I was involved. I showed up, I smiled, I served, but I didn't feel close. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel near. Yeah. I, I felt like I was literally just this existing shell 
you know, I call it in my, in my sessions with my clients, the walking dead. Mm-hmm. I was the real live walking dead. And it was one day I, I happened to look in the mirror and I realized that how many times we look in the mirror, but we don't see. So it's a different thing, right, to look upon or look at versus to see. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we are just in the mirror out of utility, most of us, right? Except for those who like to look at themselves. But, <laughs> you know, I looked and I stopped. Mm. And I really saw. And, and what I saw was emptiness. Wow. I saw somebody's mom. I saw somebody's wife. I saw somebody's daughter, somebody's friend, somebody's employee. But I didn't see Shamira. Wow. And I felt myself slipping back into that depression that I've talked about when I talked about my prior suicide attempt. And I knew I couldn't go back there. And so I got on my knees. And I said, God, I, I haven't really talked to you in a long time. I've been talking. I've been moving my lips. But I haven't really talked to you. Mm. And... I just really need you to show me, me, through your eyes. I need you to tell me how you see me as the completed work, right? Like the way that you see me, because when you see me, you don't see the flaws. You don't see all the things that are wrong with me. You see who you know you formed and knitted and created in that womb. Mm -hmm. And I don't know her. I don't know what she's supposed to do. I don't even actually remember what she likes. Yeah. You know, and, and I prayed that prayer and I felt led to pray it over and over and sit and listen. And God started to really deal with me. He started to send people. I remember my co-pastor had a dream about me two nights in a row and she told me about it. It was all these things, all these messages that were coming. And then I started having dreams and visions mm-hmm. and God was showing me me. But it was unbelievable, Kim. And I believe that's why he didn't want to show me. Like, yeah. you're, not, you're not ready and you're not going to believe it, you know? And um, what I had to do around this time was I hired a life coach and I got into therapy. Intense mm-hmm. therapy. Mm-hmm. I went to therapy for a year and I was with my life coach for a year. I was not playing. And right. <laughs> I will never forget the moment him where my life coach asked me, well, what do you like to do? And I want you to go home and come back to me with a list of what you like to do. And I came back and I had nothing on the list because I couldn't even remember. Yeah. What had been happening in my marriage was I was in a marriage where it was really toxic. You know, it, it was really, really toxic, you know, and, and I, I think the hard part about talking about it is because there was verbal abuse, there was Mm -hmm. emotional abuse, there was financial infidelity, financial abuse. And it's hard to talk about it because when you're dealing with someone like that, even after the fact, you find yourself under their control where you don't say anything because you're afraid of the backlash even long after it's over. Yeah, it's very true. It's, It's such a conditioning, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It is. And I, I tried to talk around it. I tried to not address it or I would address it privately, but never publicly because I feared the backlash and what that would, you know, what, what that would bring. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so many people don't know and didn't know that I went through that. Uh, you know, it, it's the same thing as mental health, right? If I can't see your wound, then it must not be there. Yeah. So when it comes to that type of abuse, People don't see it. So they don't know. But I was experiencing it and I had taken in so much Mm -hmm. that I literally became numb and I was just existing. I had lost my sense of identity and I was Mm -hmm. just surviving, Mm -hmm. just in it. Mm -hmm. And so it was clawing my way back. Yeah. Leaning into Christ and all of this. And I say, it's really this multi-pronged approach because I don't mm-hmm. believe that in you, I don't believe that just one thing, right? I think you have to have God first, but I believe in therapy and a- I Amen. Love, <laughs> you got to have the therapy. Right. And the coaching piece was really key for me. That was a woman. She was a woman of God. She was a prayer warrior. So she spoke life. Mm-hmm. And that was that, 
that was that moment where my lid was flipped. Mm. When she spoke to me, it felt like there was a switch activated. She was speaking to me, but I was hearing the voice of God. Ooh, that's good. That's good. And it, it, if you imagine, you know, those buttons that say in case of emergency, that's what I felt like she had reached that button that God had created a mechanism in me in case of emergency, in case of loss of identity, flip this switch. And she spoke to me in a way that called forth who I was to yeah. remember and bring back to my consciousness. Oh, that's right. That is who I am. And it really aligned with what Christ was showing me. And I started to understand I'm not small. Mm. I'm not weak. You know, all the things and all the messages that I'd taken on during the moments when I was receiving the abuse, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I internalized them. Yep. And I, they became my voice. So to have to deprogram that, those voices, those words, and really hear God clearly, mm-hmm. hear him through his word, hear him through my prayer time, hear him through the people that were speaking life into me. That was the moment where my lid was flipped, but it was different this time because what I understood was that when I came out of it, I was going to have to bring other people with me and that that would become a part of God's purpose for my life. So it wasn't enough to learn how to do it for myself. It wasn't enough to learn how to love myself, to care for myself, and to really, really get in alignment with God's identity, who he told me I was before anybody else told me who I was, Mm -hmm. before any name I was called, before any way that I was spoken to, who he said I was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just so grateful for your courage to talk about this because you went through this in the time I've known you. And so there's so many things I want to say that one, I think one disservice we do to people is that we look at people and we decide everything's good or we put some something, some type of blanket on them, some type of our own experience, some type of bias on people. And so I know this has been very secretive for you because no one knew what was happening to you behind closed doors. And so for you to speak this, and it, again, that's part of why I want people to even see you and watch this, for people to see like this is, this is not being verbally abused, being physically abused, intimacy, partner violence is not reserved for just somebody who is financially struggling, just somebody who was raised in a broken home. It's just, it's just not that. It's any of us, any, any of us. Mm-hmm. because you get treated by someone else in a way you would never treat them. And so it's hard to digest what's actually happening to you. Yeah, it is. And I think too, depending on your personality, right? I'm, you know, I was dealing with abandonment issues. I was dealing with rejection issues. So spirit, mm-hmm. not having really fully been freed from the spirit of rejection, not right. having fully been freed or delivered from the spirit of abandonment, my my way, my, my coping mechanism was to hold on harder, to hold on tighter, you know, to people. Oh no, because nobody, I might not get this love again. You know, Mm -hmm. even though I'm holding on and it, you know, that, you know, I saw something somewhere and it said, let go or be dragged or be drugged. Right. I was being dragged, Yeah. you know, and not physically, but the way that it was happening was I was holding on to the very thing, the very person that was hurting me because of my ideas around what love looked like and how I needed to hold on to people. And Mm -hmm. so there's this, you know, unresolved trauma, this healing that hadn't taken place. And this person entered my life and we came together and, you Mm -hmm. know, he had his own trauma. So I'll say that, you know, because a lot of times the folks that are doing this, it's because it was done to them. Mm -hmm. So he had his own trauma and not to make any excuses for that, but you have two unhealed (laughs) traumatized, wounded people coming together um, who are not really firmly rooted in Christ and Mm -hmm. haven't done their healing work. And that's really what it's about. It's about doing the work. And that's what I committed myself to after, you know, I was like, I got to get this together because I never 
want to experience that again, ever. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I've learned that marriages are either an opportunity for people to stay in their childhood pattern mm. or to heal each other to get away from the childhood pattern. Yeah. Right. And without awareness of that, and I say this, and this can upset people, I, that's what I do. I'm good at that. <laughs> that you just reading your Bible, you just going to church with each other does not take you out of walking around the, the promised land for 40 years. It does not take you out of that. There's not one scripture you're going to put on your childhood trauma or apply to your marriage and everything's going to be okay. Amen. Like, we, there's, there's work that has to be done. All right. And then it, like your work became post-marriage because it's a year of very intense work of now trying to deprogram because now that initial wound has got a lot more knives in it. It does. It does. And, and it is, it's longer than a year. Yeah. You know, yeah. healing, healing work. People have to understand there is no destination. Mm-hmm. It is an evolutionary work and right. not, you will be healing and, and there will come things that will come up mm-hmm. for you that will highlight an area that needs mm-hmm. attention. Right. But I think what's happening for people is there's a lot of emotional triage There's a lot of, we're just going to put a Band-Aid on this bullet wound and hope that it stops bleeding and just keep smiling and keep over-functioning and keep pushing, you know, and and really because this is what makes everyone else feel better. And what really has to happen is you have to get to this place of reckless abandon where you are just like, I don't know what has to happen, but this can't have, I can't go on like this anymore. And that's where I was. I didn't know how. I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know what I needed to do. I just knew I could not go back there. I couldn't go back to the dark space that I was in when I was suicidal and depressed and didn't want to get out of bed. I just knew that if I didn't do something, that I was not going to make it. And that's why Mm -hmm. I always say to people, self-care saved my life. When I learned how to care for myself, you Mm -hmm. know, it's like this. When you think about a man who gets a car that he really loves, right? Mm-hmm. He takes care right. of that car. right? Like he spends time taking care of that car. That's the same thing for us. Mm-hmm. So just taking the time and giving myself permission to take care of me when I was used to taking care of everybody else. Yes. It's how I fell in love with who I was, who God said I am. I needed right. to fall in love with me because mm-hmm. I didn't love me. Right. I didn't love okay, so we can't preach this enough because <laughs> the church as a whole, and this is not a blaming statement, this is actually giving accountability, and we take personal responsibility, we're giving accountability to us in the church. Yeah. We teach people, particularly women, we praise them for self-neglect. That's right. We yeah. praise them for over-functioning, overthinking, overdoing, and a lack of self-connection. Yes. Right. And then when there is a consequence, there's a behavioral consequence, something happens in their life because they're not taking care of themselves, we put it back on them. That's right. It's so Kim. It's so true. It's so prevalent. It is. And that's why I do the work that I do for women. Yeah. I, I am super serving black women because of some of the unique needs and challenges that we have around mm-hmm. some of the historical background that, you know, where we come from and you know, that is born and has been forged out of slavery and, and what is unique to Black women. But mm-hmm. it is a woman issue prevalently. Yes. Um, you know, men are, and I, and okay, if you're listening and you're a man, not trying to say that you don't need help with self-care, but men are largely taught to take care of themselves, mm-hmm. even if it's just going to the gym. And, and as I, I tell my ladies all the time, they're taught to take all that they need. Whatever mm-hmm. it is that they need to take care of themselves to be okay. Whereas as women, we're taught to take, just take, just take what you need. Just yeah. take a little bit. We're, yeah. we're automatically taught to shrink. Right. right. And we're taught to, you know what I mean? Do what you need to do, but it cannot overshadow what you need to do for everybody else. So like right. if there's something left over, then you can have that. Right. 
<laughs> like we we include encourage the addiction of busyness. We encourage yes. perfectionism. We encourage we encourage that. And can it happen in men? Absolutely. But Absolutely. just for men listening, just understand like it is. It's why y'all make more money than we do. It's why that yeah. y'all. Um, and part of it really is your childhood attachment. Y'all have more likely because generational passing and generational trauma to have an avoided attachment, which means you got taught to do what you want to do and to never be inconvenienced. Mm. And women were taught that their badge of honor was to be inconvenienced for you. Ooh, Kim, fire. Yeah. And so I think that's yeah. shifting and changing. And I know incredible men who are working hard to have secure attachment yeah. to themselves, to the Lord, to, to their wives. And however, we're still looking at generations of being taught that we are to be inconvenienced and men are not to be. Yeah. So we're looking at something that is a generational message. Yes. And it is underlying. So a lot of women have no idea, as I call it, the program that's running in the background, right? right? So there's this programming and there's a script and it's running in the background and it's affecting your whole system, mm-hmm. right? It's affecting your system. Mm-hmm. You feel it, you know, it's happening, but you have no idea what's happening. So it's really that connecting to that yeah, and, and getting to a place to where you understand, okay, this is why, because a lot of women will say to me, I just don't know why. Yeah, I don't know why I can't practice this self-care. I don't know why I feel like I have to do it all. I don't know why. I don't know why. And I'm like, it's programming. It's yeah. been there. It was there before you were here. And it's been passed down to you. Mm-hmm. And it's something that has been taught to you. It's been right. put upon you. Right. We absolutely celebrate yeah. exhaustion as a badge of honor. We do. It's true. Yeah, the more the longer you work, the more you do. The fact that you made an entire meal for the family, but you didn't get to eat, but you also cleaned. We we really look at that as exceptional. It is, and what's so disturbing about it in the Christian community, honestly, is that that's not what Jesus modeled for us. That's right. Right. So you know, when I teach my um, reclaiming your personal Sabbath class, mm. I do this rooted in scripture for a reason, because I need to teach my Christians that self-care is not something that was just created. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been here for a long time. Right. And if Jesus could do it, so can you. Right. Right. So yeah. when he went off to pray and he was like, look, y'all, I'm going to spend time with the Lord. This is mm-hmm. my prayer time. This is my time to soak in the presence of my father. Mm-hmm. Do not follow me. Yeah. This is my me time. Yeah. That was one. When he said, I'm going to bed. And he went to bed and he rested. Me time. Yeah. Like he encouraged, he st- He was here as an example. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we're missing it though. We're missing it. Right. 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 Well, I, let me add to that. Because this is what I was thinking before you even said that. I was thinking about when when Jesus was, was told the disciples like, hey, keep guard. I got to go pray. And he's... Mm-hmm. And he, praying and he's crying and he's sweating blood and all this. And he, he's comes back and there's asleep. He's like, y'all need y'all stay awake. You gotta, you gotta protect me. And he goes back and prays and he comes back again. And they all slept. Right. He just knew walking away from that. He was walking into his death and resurrection. He still stopped and said, I gave you a need and you, you violated my boundary, basically. Like, you didn't do what I asked you to do. Mm-hmm. He didn't say that for himself, necessarily. He, in that moment, it's about him, but he said it for all of us coming behind. All of us who are going to come after that, of knowing that if we can't have a voice and tell people what we actually need for them to do, then we're playing small. And That's God it. didn't send him to be crucified and resurrected for any of us to play small. Say it. That's the whole word right there. Yeah, that, that's a, we have to have a voice. We have to tell people like, hey, that didn't work for me. I really, I needed you to do this for me. And you didn't do it. And women are not taught to even know they have a need, much less have a voice around it. And we're missing the next level. We're missing the next step for ourselves. Yeah. He has for us. Yeah. It's not easy finding your voice, right? Um, right. It, it wasn't easy for me. Yeah. I was more comfortable, actually, supporting my husband and taking care of my children. It allowed me to not have to be accountable 
it allowed me to not to have to really have the responsibility um, of operating in purpose. It's a heavy mm-hmm. mantle. Mm-hmm. And for God to trust you with that. Right. And, it, and, and so once you accept that and once you walk in that, that's a whole different thing. Yeah, preach it. And, yeah. and so it was easier. It yeah. was easier, right? It, and it finding my voice, just what does that feel like? What does that sound like? If, if my name is, you know, so-and-so's wife, if my name is Asher and Asa's mom, if my name is, you know, Diane's mm-hmm. daughter, my name how do you find your voice mm. when people don't even call you by your name? Yeah, there you go. Preach it. Yeah. You know, and so yeah. it's it's tapping into that. And, and mm-hmm. I find that my work with women, when they start to care for themselves and we start to talk about, you know, what it feels like to be unapologetic, to stop mm-hmm. apologizing, yeah. to over stop over explaining and over apologizing right. to really get non-negotiable about this is what I need to be okay. Mm-hmm. And not just okay, because we're past surviving. Mm-hmm. We want to be in a space of thriving because that is what God meant for us. That is the yeah. life that he had for us. That's right. A life of abundance and overflow, not just barely making it. That's right. And so what does that look like? And what happens is there's this transformation that happens to women. And they just start to get really revved up because they're like, you know what? You're right. You know, I'm noticing that they don't respect when I say that I need my time to myself. Yeah. I'm noticing that my boss does this. Yeah. You know, and, and what we do is we go over like, what are some things that you can say that are based on your personality? Mm-hmm. Right. That are comfortable for you. Mm-hmm. And that's really important practice that because some women don't even know what their voice sounds like. That's right. You're right. Yeah. That's why the work you're doing is so important. And, and kind of going into the, like the, us being taught to play small Yeah. and the idea of, you know, of having a voice and, um, you know, just that sense of the perfectionism and the codependency, if you want to put a label on it that comes in. Yeah. Well, I've learned when people struggle with that is that th- it causes us, and this is part of saying I'm sorry all the time, Mm-hmm. It causes us to feel important when we're not, but we won't let ourselves feel important in what, the way we really are. That's good. Because we are important in the kingdom. If I'm apologizing for everything that's happened to you, that's going to be my pseudo importance. Mm. And I'm not going to ever get to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to settle for that. I'm not going to ever get to feel the importance of being somebody in the kingdom who's got a word for somebody. That's so good, Kim. That's so good. And we see it all the time. All the time. And you're one of the people who's out there doing something about it because we see it. We shake our heads and we keep going. Right. And you're, you're in it. You're in the front line of the battlefield. Yeah, because I couldn't. Holy Spirit wouldn't let me. I'll say yeah. that. Right? right. It wasn't me. I'm just going to say that for anybody right. listening. <laughs> I didn't think that I would be here doing this. Mm-hmm. I never thought I would be speaking in front of people, teaching people. That's not what I thought I would be doing at all. Right. But the Holy Spirit would not leave me alone mm. about speaking. It, really, all it was about in the beginning was just speaking with other women about what I had gone through in relation to what they were feeling. Right. And it was, I just felt like self-care was this revolutionary thing the way that I'd experienced it. Not this commodified, commercialized version that has been, you know, created in the media, but Mm. real like soul care, taking care of your emotions and your mental health and your physical health and your financial health. Yes. Really cultivating all these various aspects of your life and where you have needs. Right. And not neglecting, or as I say, abandoning or betraying yourself because self-abandonment and self-betrayal are really the way that we are taught to operate as women. We are taught to operate um, in a way that makes any and everything more important than us. Yeah, that's so well said. (laughs) So so well said. And and, and I want to talk about financial abuse for a second because you're right about the soul care and and you brought up finances because it's not like there was financial abuse for you in the marriage. And and this is one thing that's different for us women. I have not ha- I've not talked to one man who's been through this. Could it could happen? I just haven't yeah. talked to them. And I I talked to many women whose husbands will say to them that unless you have sex with me, I won't give you money for a weekend trip with the girls. 
wow. uh, or money for their actual kids. Yeah. One of the big things narcissistic people do is they use money to harm. I've worked with a woman who for a year, her husband, while they were separated, refused to give her a dime. She, she barely had food. Now, he got in a lot of trouble once they got to court for all that, but he just said if he didn't pay her for a year during the separation, he hoped that would help her come back. And I haven't talked to one man who's been through that. That's just me. But financial abuse is a huge part of where we are not taught a whole lot. And so a man comes in because he is taught to be a financial provider, which I know is a lot of pressure for them. Mm -hmm. And then it's used when you're dealing with someone who has a soul sickness, it's used very against women so that she will stay and do what the man wants. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I have to say this, Kim, and thank you for sharing that example because that's very real for me. Um, I'll say this. It all, this, these types of abuse can be sneaky. Yes. So I, I didn't actually realize until later that this is what I experienced. Yeah. I didn't necessarily, yeah. you know, how is it that I'm this powerful woman? Mm-hmm. You know, I am, I, I, I'm not just sitting there letting things happen, right? I'm not right. just doing that. I am actually, you know, I do have a voice. I, I, I haven't really found my voice, but I'm not just sitting there. I, I'm right. talking back. I'm kind of fighting back. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I just didn't think. Yeah. And it wasn't until later that I really understood that that's what was happening. When we talk about financial abuse, what we're talking about, you know, for me at least was I wasn't the breadwinner. You know, I wasn't the breadwinner. He was. Um, I had a stable job, uh, but I basically had to use all of my money to take care of everything. And then I was in this constant state of wondering what kind of fires were going to pop up that I was going to have to try to figure out Mm. what to do about. And I remember thinking to myself toward the end of the marriage, how am I going to survive? And it was a really weird thought because it was like, well, how are you doing it right now when it's being lorded over you and you don't know whether or not, you know, this is going to be paid or whether or not, you know, I just was in this, un, you know, this, this state of unbelief yeah. that I could make it yeah. after he left. Yeah. And so, you know, I... I just didn't know how, but then again, here we go, right? With the faith piece, Mm. because Mm. what financial abuse teaches you is that you can't make it without the person. That's right. That's what, that's the point. That's right. There you go. That's well said. (laughs) You, I can't, you know, you're not going to make it without me and Mm -hmm. and I'm going to use this to hurt you. This is going to hurt you. You will not be provided for, but you are not the source. Yeah. You are not the provider. You are not Jaira. So you have no power to control provision for me. Mm, That's good. Right. And so that I really believe was what God was doing. He was dealing with me in the area of my faith where I had to really own that. I had to really, really own, you know what, your faith, you need Mm -hmm. to raise your faith. You need to elevate Mm -hmm. your faith. And it wasn't comfortable Yeah, because I was put in that position when we separated where I didn't have everything that I needed you know, and where I, you know, had to go into a foreclosure prevention program. A Mm. lot of things that people didn't know. I had friends who, you know, God put me on their heart and they brought me meals and they gave me money for groceries because I was in this kind of in-between period where I had to leave my job. You Mm know, um, there was a lot of other people don't know, but there was a restraining order that I had to get at the end. And that was really rough. And Mm -hmm it made me have to go in and immediately quit my job. So I went from doing this work part-time and on the side to, well, I guess this is all I have and I have to be full-time and I just got to do it because Mm -hmm. I had to to leave. My job was traveling all the time Mm. and I couldn't do that. Right. And then also mother my children. Yeah. So I had to call my boss and say, you know, with tears in my eyes and say, I'm in a domestic situation and I can't give you two weeks notice, but I can't go back on the road. Yeah. And I could not access the money that I had because the spouse had to sign off on it. So I, di- I literally, I didn't get another paycheck and I couldn't access 
however many thousands of dollars. So there was this period of time, literally. Wow. And then, you know, the checks were bouncing. Things that I thought were paid came wow. back. They weren't paid. So it's really real. <laughs> and Girl, I remember it is, Kim, I, but God. So but this God. is why, this is why ooh, people don't know, right? They didn't know yeah. because God sent provision. He just didn't send it the way that I thought it would come and the way Big, that I was yeah. used to seeing it come. This was me being in the cave, right? And mm-hmm. he was sending me the provision the way that he decided that he was going to send it, whether it was through people, whether it's through unique situations, whatever it was, he was sending it his way. And literally ever since then, Kim, that's how it's been. God sends provision in <coughs> the most unique ways. Mm. And, and he has had to stretch my faith in I can't even tell you in how many ways that he's dealt with me and my faith around provision since becoming a single mother and a full-time entrepreneur. Right. Right. Well, and, and it's like, what you're saying is that he taught you to not look where you always looked. That's right. Right. If it's going to be a renewal, it had to be a new perspective, a new way of him coming into your life. Yeah. And he, he showed did. up. He did. And he always has. And that's why I think, you know, for me, the pandemic was tough. Mm-hmm. but he had already prepared me. He had already yeah. prepared me for uncertainty. He had already prepared me. I was not freaking out, but if I had not had that experience, I probably mm-hmm. would have had a, an emotional breakdown. I probably would have, but he had been preparing me for like what it looked like to really lean into him, to be the true father. Mm-hmm. Like he was saying, okay, now daughter. So you gotten to know me on this level. Now I need you to know me in a new way. And what I was struggling with was that concept because I didn't have my father in my life. Mm -hmm. So what does it mean to trust a father as a provider? What does it mean to trust a father so completely that you are not trying, you know, well, how God, you, a child doesn't ask their father. How? Yeah, that's true. They just, they just trust. Yeah. They don't, they don't ask how we're going to eat. They don't ask how we're going to pay. I had to learn to trust God like that. Right. And right. that was not easy. You know, I just heard a definition of trust that I really resonated with me. And that is trust is the bridge between the known and the unknown. Mm. Yeah. And that's what you're describing. Because what you knew had hurt you and no longer worked. And it was about trusting that he would provide a bridge for you, a different way to walk, a walk by faith until you got to, because of the unknown. Because it was all unknown at this point. Everything was unknown, Kim. And even just him speaking to me a year before that he wanted me, he said to me a year before, um, after you leave this job, you're not going to work another job. And I, you know, when everything happened, I said, okay, now, Jesus. (laughs) Well, what do you mean? Because we need need some money. (laughs) Like, that's what this journey, this faith walk it is totally been a bridge between the unknown and the known, but there's right. been so much unknown. Kim. There's a lot unknown what you're saying. <laughs> a lot unknown. Yeah. But that's why I trust them the way I do. And yeah. it reignited my faith wow. in a new way. Yeah. The, the woman that was forged out of the ashes, like the Phoenix that rose up out of the ashes that it felt like my life was being burned to the ground. That's what it right. felt like. Yeah. Because what I went through through that divorce you know, the, the public slander on social media, the, mm-hmm. the not having the provision, the almost losing my house, the, you know, all this while building a business, yeah. while serving other women, yeah. while trusting God. Right. I wasn't the same and I yeah. would never be the same. So the woman that was for, forged from the ashes is who you see before you. And that's why I can still find my peace, even if it's mm-hmm. in pieces. That's mm-hmm. why I can seize on the joyful moments because of what I walked through. And I know that if he didn't leave me then, if he provided then, right. if he still continued to heal my heart, yeah. how is it that I'm able to go through that and still have a tender heart and yeah. still actually trust people? I don't, you know what I mean? Like most people would be suspicious of people or they would mm-hmm. say, I just love. Yeah. I just love. That's what he's called me to do. 
Yeah. And you think because you kept taking things to him and purging the old beliefs, the, the, the childhood pattern that got you with a man who was that toxic, like it was just a continuous depth. Like it wasn't a superficial cleansing. Like it was a, there was a depth of this cleansing. Yes. And I know that. And yeah. I know that, but I had to take that time. Yeah. I had to take that time and I had to really settle into this is what this is for. This mm-hmm. is not for me to be focused on anything else other than his purpose, you know, that he wants to achieve through me, you know, being a mother to my children and healing. Yeah. I just want to be whole. Wholeness is the goal. Right. And I wasn't whole. Yeah. I was fragmented. Yeah. I was wounded. I was cut up. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't whole. And so I know that taking things back and as I like to say, decluttering my life, I was decluttering so much, my heart, my spirit and moving things out that had nothing to do with him, you know, getting Mm -hmm. all the junk and the noise out so that I could hear him clearly. And so that I could open myself up and truly say, God, I need you to come in and I need you Mm -hmm. to do deep work. I need you to perform surgery. Mm -hmm. I need a new heart. I need you to renew my mind because I can't do this by myself. Yeah. You know, and and just that humility before him. I don't have the answers. I'm surrendering this to you. Right. What it's I want to say that when you go through abuse, when you go through situations where maybe even trauma, where it feels like so much is out of your control, you try to regain your power and your security in any way that you can. And therefore, surrender becomes difficult. Right. It's so true. It's a really, really good point. Really good point. So what does it look like to surrender to Christ, to actually mm. surrender to the process of healing? Because yeah. I was healing and grieving because that divorce was a death. Right. A lot of right. people don't look at it like that, but divorce is death. It is mm-hmm. the death of what you thought was going to be. God, right. it wasn't supposed to be like this. You know, the death of what could have been. Right. And I was grieving and carrying my children's grief at the same time. Mm. So mm. it requires a level of surrender right? to ex- make that exchange. God, right. I'm giving this to you because right. I can't carry it. Yeah. You know, the last is so well, well said. Thank you. The, the last part of grief and that there's ever an end of grief. There is not. But when it comes to people kind of having an understanding and having an internal cleansing process, the last stage, which I don't feel like is the right word, we call them stages, mm-hmm. they're not really stages, is action. Mm-hmm. And your boys, with your guidance, took in a beautiful action. Mm-hmm. They wrote books. <laughs> Just one so far. <laughs> well, okay, they wrote one book. <laughs> Can you talk about that, about the how we all went through that process, y'all grieved? And, and again, they don't probably know the severity of what you're going through. And right. if you have a friend or know someone's going through a divorce, please, I don't care if it's an amicable divorce, it is a incredibly painful yeah. in North Carolina long yes. process. <laughs> yes. Very difficult, long process. Mm-hmm. And so just know they aren't okay. They are not okay and they need you. But part of that is getting to a point through your divorce that you get to a place of action. And you had a beautiful step with your sons. Can you talk about that? Sure. Yeah. So I think that for me and my boys, talking has always been a thing. We talk a lot. And I was sitting down talking with them about this whole journal experience. It's just wanting to do a divorce journal. And I asked them um, if it was something that they wanted to be a part of. So I knew that kids needed it, but I had to ask them if it was something that they wanted Mm -hmm. to join me on because I really, really wanted for them to be able to put forth what they thought kids would want. You know what I mean? What is it that, you know, you feel like other kids would want to see in this? And so we sat down and as I was designing it, I had my design software up and, you know, they were right there and they jumped in. At first it was Asher and he was like, and I think that they need a place to draw and I think they need a place to, to, to write. And I was like, okay, so we'll do both. I said, you want to do both? He's like, yeah, I want to do both. And then he kept going with that. And then he was said, um, you know, I think I want to do something on, what did he say? Did he say mindset? He didn't say mindset, but he said something about that in his words. And I said, okay, fine. You know, so we created a page for that. 
And so basically between the two of them, um, when Asa jumped in, then he says, okay, I want to do a page on this. So it was just them jumping in and, you know, just wanting to do whatever came to their mind that they felt like they needed. And included in this was a page for them to write a letter to me, their mom, wow, and to that. write a letter to their dad. Yeah. Um, and I love that because there are things that they might be able to say in a letter that they might not want to say to us personally. Mm-hmm. And even with, for me, it was important um, on the regular page where you circle your emotion to get past the big four, right? Because I wanted to really um, give kids additional emotional vocabulary. I wanted them to be able to expand beyond four emotions because mm-hmm. I felt confident that they were definitely feeling more than four emotions at any given time. Right. And so that was big for me. So that they could have some vocabulary to be able to talk to their parents. That's amazing. You know, so we just kind of sat down and we did it. I, we did it in honestly in like a night. And then I just kind of spent some more time refining it. And they felt so proud. They were so proud of it. And they said, you know, I just really hope that this helps other kids. Because they have felt a lot of, and I'll say this to anyone who's watching this, in addition to what Kim said, please don't think that if your child doesn't have an immediate reaction, Mm. that there won't be a latent one. That's very true. My youngest seemed okay. I knew he wasn't. So I got both of them in therapy early, immediately. And they were in therapy for a couple of years. But my youngest is just now. Yeah. Starting to have some, you know, kind of acting out some feelings, some anger has come up. Yeah. Some frustration that I didn't see at first. Mm -hmm. And he has a tool for it. Yeah. So he pulls out his journal. He pulled out his own book. He pulled out his book. That is amazing. I I just want to, you made such a good point. I want to bring this up that, and we believe this is innate that people are either a forward thinker, like I'm a forward thinker, like the moment's over, I can think the future and keep going. Other people are what called slow percolators Mm. or slow processors. And slow does not mean bad. It just means three weeks later, they'll have the exact comment, exact way of expressing what they, what they went through three weeks prior. That is not a matter of intellect. That is just, that's your internal processing. So I, I love that you putting that out there that, you know, and to watch our children, not just want them to be okay, it's to help them at any point to know it's okay to not be okay and then get to a point that they're okay within themselves. Yeah, it's up to us to give them the tools, right? To support them, to guide them and give them what they need, even before they know that they need it or before right. anyone knows that they need it. But I want to throw this in there to kind of add to that, Ken. I've said this and I'll keep saying this. Um, when I talk about parental burnout, a well parent is a well child. Mm. And this is again, why self-care is important. Mm -hmm. My therapist said something to me one day when I was in there, you know, just kind of trying to push through the grief. And I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I am. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm really fine. I'm okay. I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, you protest too much. Right. Okay, are you trying to convince me? Are you right, right? And she said, "They're not fine." Mm. And I said, "I've gone through this. I've I've been through the therapy. I've because this was a different therapist, and, uh-huh. and I've I've been through. I did two years of therapy. I'm good." Here's what I want people to know who are experiencing divorce or separation: it will come in waves, just like grieving the loss of a person. And as you experience a new phase in your divorce, your separation, co-parenting mm-hmm. relationship, you may be thrust back into grief. Yeah. And it's okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to grieve, to allow yeah. yourself to not be okay and to allow yourself to grieve. And one of the things she said to me was, you cannot carry your grief and theirs if you don't allow yourself to grieve. Yeah. You have to. Mm-hmm. So you, she said, even if that looks like you are giving yourself an hour here, a day here, a weekend here, a couple of hours, 15 minutes. Give yourself what you need to feel right. what you need to feel. Yeah, that's beautiful. 
I mean, it's an entire civilization that ends. Like there can be friends, there can be for you, yes. you know, job position, like so much can change, but it's also just the idea of the marriage, this idea of never having to say I'm, I'm a divorcee, right? Which should have no shame on it, but we put shame on that, which we is do. ridiculous, right? And so it's just, there's so much there to it, especially if you're dealing with someone who had to get a restraining order and then a protection order. I don't know if you've ever looked at the paperwork for a restraining order and what a woman, I know women who can't finish the paperwork because they can only get an hour off work and they have to work because they have kids and they have bills and they have a husband who won't, that they're getting a restraining order against. And so they're not, it is, I can't even talk about the system. Like it's just too much, but it's a lot to go with somebody that you believe you can spend the rest of your life with to get a restraining order. It was hard. I have to say it was one of the hardest things that I ever had to do, I want to say, because I sat outside the courtroom. I talked to one of my mentors, my spiritual mentors from my church, and I was crying. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't go. I, I couldn't bring myself to go mm-hmm. and, and, and file some kind of paperwork against a Black man, right? This, is, yeah. this has its own implications right, of putting a Black man in the system for something like this. Mm-hmm. But I felt like my boundaries weren't, I didn't feel like my boundaries were not being respected as they hadn't been before. But what needed to happen is because they were never respected, I had to take a stand to say, I need you to get this. Mm -hmm. This is my boundary. Mm -hmm. And what happened before is not what's going to happen now. Right. So since you don't respect normal boundaries, here's a legal one. Mm -hmm. Because I don't feel safe. Yeah. And so when I finally made it in there, they were almost closing. Mm -hmm. And I missed the judge. And I sat there and filled out the paperwork. And I, you know, was trying to ask questions. They don't answer your questions, Mm -hmm. you know. And so I said, okay, you know, I'm done. And it was hard. I was crying because I had to relive what had happened to cause me to have to be in there. Because there was an incident. There was something that happened. And she said, oh, he's gone for the day. So you're going to have to come back tomorrow. And I literally broke down crying. (sighs) I bet. I literally broke down crying. And and by the time I got to my car, this sweet woman, she called me and she said, can you come back in here? And I said, okay. And she said, I I talked to the judge and he's going to do it. And she said, I just felt so bad. And I was just like, I, cause I, I could, I wasn't going to come back. Right. I just, I couldn't, couldn't do it. Yeah. I couldn't do it. And that's yeah. what a lot of people don't understand. And then I, I dealt with a lot of backlash. I dealt mm-hmm. with the, the court of public opinion on his yes. page and the friends that yeah. we had in common. I had people inboxing me. Can you please not deal with stuff in the, in the courts with, it's not fair for black men. Wow. Can you, wow. you know, I had people coming for me because of what was being said and no one really knew what happened that that's night. Right. Because I'm not the kind of person to go and Mm -hmm. take to social media. But Mm -hmm. it was hard. That's what people need to understand. The incredible bravery it takes for someone to go there and do that and Mm -hmm. to endure the backlash from the person. Right. Because they're mad. Right. And everyone else. Right. And their judgment and what they believe happened. That's right. Or what they believe that person is capable of. Yes. It. It's beyond true. I, I just have learned, especially something I've been through recently, that someone can look incredibly guilty and there's more to the story. And I'm not saying that. That does not apply to everything. It's, it's, yeah. it's not. We're too, yeah. we're too quick to to justify someone's actions. But when it comes to something like this, believe believe women who are saying that they're being hurt. It's too hard for us to say we've actually been hurt. It's too hard for us when we have a cape on to say that we now need a restraining order. That. And just know the women who are being actively physically abused, mm. just calling them 911, there's a possibility that you both get arrested. Yes. Like, there's so much that's happening. And it's also incredibly dangerous for a police officer to come up on a domestic violence. So I, I want to acknowledge yes. that. It's very, very difficult. But the woman who's involved with that domestic violence and sometimes it's men, but with a woman who's involved in domestic violence doesn't even know if she calls, will she have safety, but will she also be taken to prison because they can't prove who hit who first? Was she defending herself or did she attack? Like there's so much to this that we need to be talking about. Yeah. 
I haven't experienced that, but I have friends that have. And I Absolutely. have had friends who have been taken to jail. Yes. Because they called for safety. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so that's why I'm so glad you were on the front lines. You're on the front lines in the stigma against mental health. You're on the front lines in stigma against mental health in the church. And you're also on the front lines with women, particularly black women, who are learning that self-connection and self-care is for them. Yeah. Yeah. There's something to be said, Kim, about what it looks like and what it feels like for us to finally come home to ourselves. Yeah. Come home to ourselves. Come home to ourselves. Yeah. That's so good. That's so good. I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. I'm so glad we can get this part of your story out there and women to know that you're available. So let me ask you a few little bit more lighthearted questions. Yes. What you got? And then we'll close up. Okay. (laughs) All right, my friend. We're going to put you in the hot seat. Throw some questions (laughs) at you. Rapid fire. Let's just see what happens. All right, Samara, what are you the most proud of? My children. Your children? Yeah. They are beautiful human beings. They are beautiful little human beings. Yeah. And they have their own little book. Yeah. And they, and they are little prayer warriors in the making. Like mm-hmm. they actually are just like compassionate, praying, loving, kind human yeah. beings. Uh, that's so I'm, I'm most proud of them. Just like their mom. Oh, thank yeah, you. Just like their mom. What thank surprises you. you the most about yourself? I don't want to say the S word. I don't want to say strength. I, I will say um, resilience. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't really realize how resilient I was. Yeah until I got to this place in my life and had experienced the level of trauma that I had to be able to still have and access joy and peace. Um, I never thought I would have it. I never thought I would have joy. I never thought I would have peace and to actually have it. The resilience is tied to that. And so Mm -hmm. I would say my resilience Mm -hmm. is really surprising because there are times when I just want to be like, you know what? Forget it. Out. Proper out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? yeah. Seriously, that's on yeah. a real note. <laughs> yeah, that's on a real note. I love that. Yeah, but you're very resilient and you're connected. Everything you described is a sense of like, now I'm connected after such as a land of disconnection. You're reconnected to yourself. Yeah. All right. Strangest place you ever slept. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I don't know if I should answer this. <laughs> um, well, like a toilet. <laughs> there could be a lot of stories behind that, all right? We're going with the toilet. We're going to leave it. We're going to leave it at that. <laughs> all right. What do you have a love-hate relationship with? Oh, that's, oh. Um, I don't know. Why do I have a love-hate relationship? I kind of either love or hate stuff. I'm not kind of in between. Gotcha. Um, let's say exercise. Okay, that's good. A lot of people can relate to that. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I love how it makes me feel. I love how it energizes me. Uh-huh. Of course, I love how it, you know, makes my body strong, but right. it, it yeah. kind of sucks sometimes. It kind of yeah. sucks. <laughs> I got a witness to that. That's good. All right. <laughs> last question for you. If you had to give yourself a new name, what would it be? Oh, um, you know what? I really, really love Nina Simone. Yeah. So I would take her name. I, right. I would, I would I like maybe that. be Nina Simone because I just think she's prolific and amazing. Yeah, that's a great name. All right. I know people have fallen in love with you and I'm already in love with you. Uh-huh. So I'm just curious. How would people contact you? Website, Instagram handle, whatever it is, throw it out there. Yes. So my website is bornboundless.com. I also have a new one coming. Um, that Miss Corey Huggins is building for me, and it is shamiraparker.com. And then my socials all across social media is uh, I am Shamira Parker. So I am S H A M Y R A P A R K E R. And that's how you get in contact with me. Um, just listen, I, I love people and I love connecting to be able to serve and support. Um, and come alongside you. So if you feel like I can serve you, if you're interested, just reach out. I love that. And I love that you are your name, that you've claimed that, that that's identity in him. That's so good. Thank you for your generosity and your wisdom and expertise today. I love you so much. Thank you for that. And to our listeners, thank you for being a part of this today. I 
pretty sure you felt you heard something today that flipped your lid mm. and also heard great knowledge from Samara that allowed you to reconnect to who God says you are. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Please subscribe, rate, and share. You can find Kim on Facebook or Instagram at KB Honeycutt. To get an autographed copy of Kim's book, visit butyourmotherlovesyou.com. Remember, no matter what, treat yourself well today.